Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Notice all the mentions of the word shall in this passage. It doesn't say it might happen. It's the definitive article. Shall. It will happen if you seek him. So I want to thank Shane for this opportunity to share my story with you. Uh, he asked me to share uh, my testimony and some things related to that. So before we get into the scriptures, I just want to share with you a little bit about my background. My name is Andrew Gomison, and I was raised actually right here in Wyoming, Michigan. Um, lived here for 21 years before my family moved north to Howard City, Michigan, where we live now, uh, but we worship at a Grand Rapids area church called Northwest Gospel Hall, and I was, uh, being raised in a Christian home, I was always exposed to uh, the things of the Lord, uh, but when my great-grandfather died, I asked my mom if he was going to heaven, and she said, quite simply, I don't know, because I don't know what his decision was about the Lord Jesus. And so that got me thinking about my eternal destiny. And shortly before I turned five years old, I made the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, and it's the best decision I ever made. Um, but that was really the start of a long journey for me of self-acceptance. I uh, knew that I was going to heaven, but I was not very happy with my temporary destination. I hated the fact that God gave me a crippled body, and I would often say to God, God, if you gave me a, uh, if you gave me a, uh, a perfect body, if you gave me a non-crippled body, then I could serve you. But since you gave me this body, I really can't serve you. And I would argue with him, and I would say, God, heal me or God changed my body and he never did and as a matter of fact um, he eventually would say to me get off the throne of your life let me lead your life and I will open up opportunities for you see the, the thing that I had to come to grips with was just because I trusted Jesus for my salvation did not mean that my life was immediately going to become a bed of roses. Because when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was a four-year-old kid, almost five, who was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk. When I woke up the next morning, I was still a kid in a wheelchair who couldn't walk. But the difference was that I had Jesus with me. And I really got depressed as I became a teenager and I hit rock bottom in 1992 when my little brother, John Michael, uh, went to sleep after his morning feeding at three months of age and never woke up. And I remember saying to my mom in the days after he died, 
I said, why did God take my healthy baby brother, John Michael, and leave me here when I'm absolutely useless? That was my perception of myself. That was the thing that I thought about myself, was that I am absolutely useless, but he was healthy and in, in his baby prime. Why would God take him? And the next year was really tough for me. I did not want to be in church. I did not want to hear about how good God was. I still remember being appalled when I was at the funeral home and this older gentleman, I know he was he was trying to do the right thing and say the right thing, but he touched my shoulder and he said, are you still rejoicing? And I was like, you know, I was thinking, well, why would I rejoice? His point being that I should rejoice that my baby brother was in heaven and not having to deal with the problems of earth. But as a 13-year-old boy who just lost his brother, that was not something that I wanted to hear. And my recommendation to you, if you are um, visiting with someone at a funeral home, the best thing you can do is just cry with them. When someone is in that vulnerable of a place, he may give you a word that is the right word to say, but generally speaking, they're not ready to hear any major nuggets of wisdom that you may possess. They just need you to cry with them. They just need you to be there with them. They need you to listen with them. It's said that we were given two ears and one mouth for a reason, that we should listen twice as hard as we talk. And I have to acknowledge that that can be difficult for me at times. But after that year of hardship and of trying to figure out what was going on and of contemplating suicide, so I remember going into my front yard and at the time I lived on Byron Center Avenue in Wyoming, Michigan, and I was like, hey, if I just drove out in front of a car maybe all this could be over. But I never did, and I'm thankful that God stayed my hand from doing that. Um, because when I was 14, I went to a conference, and one of the conference session was 10 things you can't change about yourself. And that you should thank God for. Things like birth order, things like time and history, Things like number of siblings you have or the specific siblings you have. Things of that nature. Things that God decided for you. And the, the most impactful for me was the way God made you physically. And I realized that day that God had a plan for making me the way he made me. You know, there have been three different times in my life where people have said, if you have enough faith, you can walk. I remember one particular time I was working at Guiding Light Mission, and one guy came in for an interview of sorts, and another guy was with him. So he sat next to the reception desk and started talking to me. And we had a good time. I shared with him my testimony. And the next day he called me up and tried to talk to me for about 45 minutes telling me how he discovered overnight how I was in the wrong place with God and that if I would just get right with God, I could walk. And I said, I'm sorry, sir. I spent 
nine years of my life coming to the place where I knew that God had a plan and I needed to stop fighting his plan and I'm not going to listen to you anymore. And that is a really rough thing to do. Can God heal me? Absolutely. He has the power to do that. But is my healing the most important or is my sanctification? See, the reality for me is that the day that God decides that my wheelchair is in the way of my ministry, it will not be here anymore. Whether that means I will be on the other side in heaven, or whether that means he will heal me here on earth, I don't know. I, I tend to believe that he won't heal me this side of earth. Because you know what? Something that people may overlook or not understand is that my wheelchair keeps me close to God. Because every day when I'm laying in bed, waiting for my brother to get me up, I'm reminded that I can't do it myself. Every time I thought about running away as a kid, I knew that the farther I got from my battery charger, the worse it would be. And I know there were things that I contemplated, such as suicide, that would not have been good for me that I was not able to accomplish because of my wheelchair. So I believe that God had a plan for putting me in the wheelchair and that he is accomplishing it now. And I don't regret it. And, I, and you know, sometimes people say, well, if there was a pill that you could take and be walking tomorrow, would you? And I, I'm not sure that I would. Because I know that there is a purpose in all things. And that God is working out his plan in my life. So if by chance you're taking notes on your phone or wherever, I'm going to give you four things about my journey that I want to share with you. Four things about my journey that I want to share with you. I think these are universal things that you can apply to your own spiritual journey. And the first one is, where do I find my passion? And that is found in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Quick story about this passage of scripture. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Dave Dravecki, former San Francisco, San Francisco Giants pitcher. But he was a guy who was a pitcher for the major leagues, and he was pitching for the Giants, and he ended up getting cancer in his arm. And he had to have his deltoid muscle removed, and it's a pretty major arm muscle. And so nobody had ever pitched after having their deltoid removed, because this was his pitching arm that he had this cancer in. But he decides, I'm going to be the first one. So he, he gets his deltoid removed, he, he um, rehabs, and he, and he pitches in the majors again. And a week later, he breaks his arm and finds out that the cancer is back. So he ends up getting his arm removed. Well, I went to a banquet to hear him speak when I was uh, 14, right around the time that God was was getting through to me about my life. And I had him sign a couple books that I had and 
and uh, a baseball card that I had of his, and he put a scripture verse in each one, and one of those scripture verses was Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And when I went home and looked it up, I realized that this is the verse that I want to be my mission statement in life. And that the reality is that the book of Philippians itself has become one of my favorite books as a result of this encounter with Dave. Now, I haven't talked to Dave since then. He has no idea who I am because there were hundreds of people there that day, said a few words, and that was it. But he impacted my life for the rest of my life. And so that's just to remind you that you can have a five-minute encounter with someone and totally change their life. So don't discount, as, as the prophets say, don't despise small things. Don't despise small beginnings. Allow God to work through each of those things. So let's look at these verses together. Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that, that is really my goal in life, is to glorify Him with every part of my life. And the situation in Philippians is that Paul is getting ready to go before Caesar to testify before him. He could have he could have gone away and gone into obscurity, but he appealed to Caesar, and so he he's he's go, gone to Rome, and he's in jail, and he's waiting to see Caesar. Of course, tradition will tell us that he will be beheaded. By Nero, that he's going to his death, but he still knows, hey, I've got to deliver this message to Nero. And this is something else that I'm convicted of is I'm not responsible for the results of the message today. I'm only responsible to deliver the message. Sometimes we can get caught up in, in, in being results oriented and saying we need to get you know, maybe we say we need to get 30 more people in, into Latchkey Church, or we need to do such and such, or we need to have these metrics. That's not what God is about. God says, go do what I tell you to do, and I will tell you what to say. That's what he said to Moses, and that's what he says to us today. And so what Paul's writing about here. In Philippians chapter 1 is he's writing about the, the struggle between earth and heaven because he says, he says, I'm ready to go to heaven, which is far better than being here on earth. But if it's better for you that I be here on earth, then I'm glad to be here on earth. And I'm glad that I don't have to decide whether to be in, alive or dead. But that's not in my purview because I don't have the wisdom to decide that. God decides that for us. But Paul says, as long as I am alive, I'm going to honor and glorify him. And if I die, I'm going to go be with Christ. See, he was in a win-win situation because he's like, if you keep me alive, I'm going to keep testifying of Christ. And if you kill me, 
I'm going to be with Christ. So, either way, I win. I'm going to just quickly uh, look at a cross-reference. Actually, uh, if, if, if you guys have your Bibles, if you want to look up this cross-reference and somebody would like to read it, if they arrive there before I do, it's Ephesians six eighteen to twenty. Ephesians six eighteen to twenty. And in Ephesians six eighteen to twenty, we re- we read, praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So, I can't think of a single person in the scriptures that was more bold with the gospel than the Apostle Paul. And yet he's praying for more boldness. And in, in Ephesians, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he says, no, In nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, I would preach Christ. Boldness was very important to the Apostle Paul. So we've talked about my passion. The next point I want to bring out is the power in my life. What power do I have in my life to make me be able to do the things that I do. We have this mistaken idea in our culture today that everything comes from us, that we make things what they are. I've heard somebody say, if, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And there certainly is a degree of that. We can't just sit there twiddling our thumbs every day, hoping that things happen. But we need to realize that we don't have power in ourselves. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. He didn't say some things. He didn't say most of the things that you need to do. He said, you can do nothing. And so where does the power come from in my life? Here it is. Philippians 2, verse 13. And just a, just a cool heads up, most all of these points are covered within the book of Philippians. So you won't have to turn very far. But here is where my power comes from. Philippians 2, 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. But you notice something? He doesn't say, go and do your good pleasure. No, he said, it's God who worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So if you want to go off on your own, and then you have struggles in life, or you fail and you fall down, That's what's going to happen, because you can't do anything without God. But if you allow Him to work in you, then He will do His will through you, through His power. 
Because if you're anything like me, sometimes you try to do God's will through your own power and you fail that way too. Hudson Taylor said, His work done his way will never lack his resources. But so often we do it our own way. We try to do our own thing. But Paul is reminding us, we do not have the power to do it. Philippians 1.6 is another good reinforcer of this. It says, He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. How many of you, and I raise my hand along with you, have started a project and not finished it? Was that ever said of Jesus? No. As a matter of fact, what was one of the last things he said on the cross? He said, it is finished. And when his disciples said, don't go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. What does the scriptures tell us? It says that he set his face as a flint and he went toward Jerusalem. When, when, his, when he could have gone on this shortcut earlier in his ministry, straight through the Holy Land, what does it say? It said he must needs go to Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman at the well who needed redemption. And when she got redemption, when she met the Messiah, she said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then the people of Samaria came, and for three days Jesus taught them, and they said, Now we believe not because what she said, but because we have experienced it ourselves. Jesus knew why he had to go to Samaria. He created the woman at the well, and he created you as well. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, 20, and 21. And again, if someone gets there before I do, uh, feel free to stand up and read it. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. morning. I must have limbered up my fingers ahead of time. Um, but here's what Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 says. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work, to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to read that one more time. And it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will according to Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we see this situation once again, that it is God who makes us perfect. It is God who allows us to live the Christian life. Now, when we become a believer, we have two natures warring within us. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, when he says, The good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. And he says, How, how, how am I supposed to deal with this? And he's, then at the end of the passage, he says, Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God makes the difference. Without God, we are of all men most miserable. And uh, we need to be aware of that. But with God, we have an everlasting hope, an inheritance, as Peter says, that fades not away. So we've talked about my passion, talked about the power in my life, now I want to direct us to Philippians chapter 3 as we talk about my past and my pursuit. Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14, because we all have things in our past that we regret. I re re regret wasting nine years of my life saying, God, I'm not good enough. God, I can't do anything for you. Moses tried that, remember? He's leading sheep in the wilderness and God says hey hey Moses I want you to lead my people out of Egypt and Moses says wait a second uh, can you ask somebody else because I, I can't do it I'm, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue I, I'm not equipped to do this in Acts chapter 7 we get a glimpse at the younger Moses how even when he was younger he kind of had this idea that he was going to redeem his people. But he wanted to do it in his own way. I've heard it said this way, that Mo, the story of Moses is Moses spending 40 years thinking he was somebody, and then 40 years in the desert after he left Egypt, realizing he was nobody, and then 40 years leading the children of Israel through the desert, realizing that God could take a nobody and turn him into a somebody. Three very distinct parts of his life. Interesting that the main calling of his life didn't kick in until he was 80. So don't let anyone say that you're too old to follow the call of God. You just have to be ready. Because you never know when your burning bush should appear. But see, I tried to do that. I tried to say, God, I can't do it. I can't speak for you. And he said... Go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will tell you what to say. And that's what he did for Moses, and that's what he can do for you. So Philippians three twelve to 14 says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Which, incidentally, this is the passage where the motto for my ministry comes from, speaking for him who spoke for me. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, 
But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we all have a past. I have a past as someone who did not realize or acknowledge the wisdom of who God made me to be. And isn't that the culture in which we live today? God says, I made them male and female after my likeness for my glory. And the world says, God made a mistake. The world says, we don't know what a man or a woman is. Because we don't want to acknowledge that a creator God had a plan for us before time. This is so important. We need to get back to the basics and show people by our love that God had a plan. And Jesus repeated it. See, this was, this was written in Genesis. Jesus repeated it in the New Testament. He says, God made them male and female. And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. Why? For the glory of God. And he said, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And we see the chaos culturally that occurs when we decide to go our own way in these regards. This is not a popular thing to say, but it is the truth. And we need to speak the truth in love. But let me tell you this. If you are speaking the truth and the whole truth, people will hate you if they hate the truth. Because sometimes people say, well, maybe you weren't loving enough. But remember, there's no one more loving than Jesus, and look where it got him. It got him nailed to a tree on a hill outside of a city where he could be gawked at. And mocked. The one who created the rivers said, I thirst. He did that for you and me. So we talked about my passion to be bold for the Lord. We've talked about the power in my life. And we've talked about my past and my pursuit. Let's, along those lines, look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3. Okay, so 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and, and Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. 
So this is just an enhancement on this idea of pressing toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. How do we do this? He has given us his divine power, which has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He called us to glory and virtue, and then he gives us the power to live out that glory and virtue. He doesn't say, okay, go do it yourself, because he knows we can't. The perfect example is what? Noah and the flood. What happened with Noah and the flood? He built the ark just as God commanded. He and his wife and his sons and his son's wives were saved in the ark. Then God says, I'm going to make a new earth, and you guys are going to be the start of it. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And what does Noah do? Everything's perfect from then on out, right? No. Noah goes and plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk, and his sons find him naked, and they cover up his nakedness. So we know from that story that the flood didn't solve all the problems. That's why Jesus had to come. Because it's his power working in us that makes the difference. Okay, so my final point today is about the promises I believe. When you become a true believer in the Lord Jesus, there are many promises that you can come to believe. And we could do a whole series just on promises. But I want to show you um, a couple different ones from Philippians chapter 4. See, we're, we're progressing through this book of Paul's, and he's continuing to give encouragement. And it says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then it says, yes. And then we go down a little further in the chapter, and we, we read in Philippians 4, 13 and 19, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. So you notice, it's all about Christ Jesus, because when we make our request known unto God, He gives us peace, and our hearts and minds are guarded by what? By Christ Jesus. And then, um, in verse 13 we see, I can do all things through Christ, who strengtheneth me. And in 19 we see, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory, by Christ. It's all about Jesus, friends. We can have a myriad of discussions about about a myriad of theological issues, and I'm not saying they aren't important. There are definitely some that are, and some that I would go to the mat for. But let me tell you this. The main thing is what will you do with Jesus? See, because Jesus was more than just a historical figure who lived in first century Palestine. He was and is and will be always the Son of God. And the Bible says that one day 
we will look on him whom we have pierced. That means that he has chosen for our sakes to stay in his earthly body for eternity. I will see him. You know, Job knew that. Even though he was, his book is the oldest book chronologically in the Old Testament, he still said, I know that in my flesh I will see God. I know that my Redeemer liveth and on the earth again will stand. The writer of the Proverbs say this, Who hath cre- who created the worlds? And he said, What is his name and what is his son's name? If you can tell. See, Jesus didn't come to be when he was born of a virgin. No, he chose to enter into that virgin and be born of it. He said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Because he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. This was a 30-something. And he was saying, before Abraham was, I am. Because he transcends time. Hebrews 11 says, him that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Why does it say that? Because everything that's good to know, God is. Everything that's essential to know, God is. What a blessing that is to us. I have a couple cross-references here. First, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. We read in Matthew chapter 7, 7 and 8, Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Notice all the mentions of the word shall in this passage. It doesn't say it might happen. It's the definitive article. Shall. It will happen if you seek him. Now, the next one is 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. 2 Corinthians Three, four, and five. This is also by Paul. And Paul says in this passage in Second Corinthians three, four, and five. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in God. See, a lot of times I see these memes on Facebook that say, do whatever makes you happy. Don't care about what other people think. You can do it if you set your mind to it. Platitudes like this. But this is telling us that our sufficiency is in God. 
Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. So anything good that comes out of me, of what I'm sharing this morning, comes from God and God alone. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 to 11. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 11. Says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. And as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown. And increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything, to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. And again we see in verse 8, He is able to make all grace abound to you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Again, the definitive article, He gives you all things that you need. He gives you all sufficiency. It's all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we ever think that we can go another way? Why do we ever think that He is not sufficient? But we do. We are often like the Israelites. When God gave them manna, they said, the quail, or the, the man is not enough. <clears throat> so God answered their prayer and sent them quail. But the Bible says as soon as it was in their mouth, it was rottenness to their stomach. In the Psalms, it puts it this way, God gave them their desire, but he sent leanness to their soul. Just because God's giving you what you want does not make it right. So if I could encourage you to make your passion His passion. To make the power in your life to yield that over to Him because it's way more powerful than your power. To put your past in the rear view mirror and to pursue him with all that you have and to believe the true and earnest promises of God. That is the way to true peace. My desire is that everyone would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ who has taken the weakness in me and made me strong. Paul said this, he said, I was given a thorn in the flesh that I asked God three times to take away. And each time God said no, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, some people will say, well, you should be healed, Andrew, because God doesn't want you to suffer. Why would God, who allowed the very Son of God to suffer on our behalf, say, That means no suffering for Christians. I never read that here in the Word of God. 
We can't go by our own logic. Remember, Paul healed a lot of people. But when it came to his friend Epaphroditus, he didn't have the power to heal him. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And God delivered him from his sickbed and got the glory. But Paul wasn't able to go into Epaphroditus' room, grab his hand and say, Epaphroditus, rise and be well. Why? Because it was not the will of God that it happened that way. We can't command God to do things. All we can do is ask, and then he will render his answer. A lot of times we say, God doesn't answer my prayers because he doesn't give us the answer we want. My friends, God always answers your prayers. He says yes, no, or wait. One of those three. He also tells us always to pray and never to faint. So don't be discouraged by repeatedly coming to God with a prayer request. He can handle it. Thank you for the opportunity to share today. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And above all, I hope that you will come to know that the, the Christian life is not about a series of do's and don'ts, but about a personal relationship with a Savior that loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to know that you hear and answer our prayers. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak here and to encourage these saints. Lord, I now pray that you would be with us as we continue in this service, as we prepare to go before your table and to enjoy you in that way. Lord, I just pray that you would make your face to shine upon these saints and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.